1: Welcome to the Bike Rider Podcast, brought to you by the team behind Bike Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello, welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. My name's Tom Marvin, Senior Technical Editor here at BikeRadar.com and at MBUK Magazine as well. Joining me by the magic of Microsoft Teams is another one of our Senior Technical
0: Editors at Bike Radar. It's Al Evans, all the way up in Scotland. How are you getting on, Al? Yeah, great, thanks, Tom. Just uh, surviving some very cold, cold weather. Yeah, it's been uh, been chilly, but we're all good. How how about you?
1: Yeah, not too bad, actually. I, I was out last weekend. In the like freezing conditions, and it was absolutely dreamlike. I had such a good ride; it was great, but mm. so cold.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's the it's the toes and the fingers. Like no matter what mm. you do, for, for me personally, I just can't can't keep those things warm. So I went on uh, Jeff Bezos's little website. I don't know if you've heard of it, <laughs> and uh, and spent forty four pounds uh, of my own money to buy some. Uh, I'm really sorry, not particularly environmentally friendly feet warmers. Oh, nice. Um, that I can just stick in my shoes because um, core temperature's fine. It's just keeping those little toes little toes uh, from dropping off basically <laughs> <laughs> trying to avoid avoid frostbite where possible.
1: It's always like when the fingers reheat and then it just hurts so bad that I hate that first like, like 30 minutes yeah. and you're just like
0: I' <gasps> gonna yeah. puke
1: um, yeah. <laughs> never fun. but when you warmed up, generally all right.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I kind of like, as a bit of a TBT to being a kid, I always remember playing in the snow without <laughs> gloves on, obviously, because you're a child and then your, your fingers, when you're warming up, you're, you're in agony. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's maybe not that bad, but as a child, you seem to remember it being really bad. I had a friend of mine's into ice climbing and he says that,
1: because obviously, when you've gone through that sort of the horrible pain, like everything picks, everything's kind of okay for the rest of the day. So they would jam their like bare hands in the snow and ice until they went numb, and then wait for them to warm up before they sort of cracked on. But he said the pain would be so bad they'd be like retching at the bottom of the of the climb, just like just waiting for their hands to like. I was like, why oh, you are a psycho? <laughs> it was oh, like, good. yeah, but it was fun. Was it fun? I don't know. <laughs>
0: Well, that certainly uh, makes our mountain biking-related woes pale into insignificance, <laughs> We are it? so
1: soft. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got a hot water bottle here. No, you can't see it, obviously, because this is just uh, an audio podcast, but a uh, hot water bottle is being clutched.
1: <laughs> All right, then. Well, we'll crack on with the podcast. So um, it is, of course, we're in the middle of the festive period, so hopefully everyone is in- enjoying their mince pies uh, and excessive amounts of chocolate. Um, and we hope you're all having a lovely time but we thought as is sort of tradition this time of the year on the podcast we're going to look back at 2023. Now myself and Al are both uh, on the mountain bike side of things and we're both on the tech side of things so it kind of makes sense that between us we're going to look back at some of the biggest bits of tech news that have happened in the past 12 months. We're going to split it down the middle, we're going to talk about XC, We're going to talk about trail bikes, enduro bikes, e-bikes, suspension, drivetrain, because a whole load of things have gone on. So we've each sort of maybe picked the main story or one of the biggest stories or maybe even the most interesting story from each of those topics. And we're also going to round out a couple of the other little highlights that have also happened within those segments. So plenty to get your teeth into. And of course, if we don't talk enough about what we're going to talk about, head to bikeredder.com, do a quick search on Google for that product itself, and it'll pop up on Google without any difficulty and you'll find out loads more online
0: (laughs) wow thanks tom uh just checking you're not a paid shill for uh, google (laughs) or or microsoft teams for that matter
1: Um, on on adwords right now yeah (laughs) all right well shall we um let's kick off with components should we kick off with components and then we'll move to bikes so um let's start with perhaps one of the most important types of component your drivetrain al what was the biggest drivetrain story because there's been a few
0: yeah there's definitely been a few and um i mean hands down the biggest has to be sram's transmission Mm -hmm. um no matter what you think of it now you know whether you've tried it or not um whether you actually think that you know it's it's maybe not something for you or it is it's still pretty big news i mean removing the derailleur hanger from bikes making all bike manufacturers use the same uh interface hangerless interface as they've dubbed it you know that's a pretty big move from a components manufacturer let's not even mention the on-power shifting the shift mapping of the derailleur and also the shift ramps um, you know it's like turned into one great big package and basically Stram kind of ripped up the rule book and said what does a drivetrain do or not do and how can we make it better and this is their solution you know they've removed things that are vulnerable like a derailleur hanger um, they've also made the derailleur super rebuildable, so if you do smash certain bits of it, you can you can replace those bits, um, such as you know parts of the parallelogram and the cage. Um, and you know, I, th- I think this is a giant step forward. Um, it's kind of the impression is that it's left Shimano kind of sitting on their laurels a little bit. Mm. Um, now that all these manufacturers have adopted the UDH standard, um, and okay, you know, normal derailleur hangers still work. But how's Shimada going to react to that? You know, what, what are they going to do? Are they going to have to just use SRAM's hangerless interface for their own derailleurs? Or are they going to persist with, you know, with using existing derailleur hanger tech? Um, and, you know, I, I think it's really exciting. I mean, it's hugely expensive. And, you know, some of us, you particularly, and, you know, I don't want to, like, call you out or make you call <laughs> SRAM out, but you've, you, you've had, like... Um, slightly less positive experience than I have with the shift speeds, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think for like a winch and plummet enduro style riding Mm -hmm. where you're not necessarily banging through the gears, absolutely no problems. Whereas, you know, you said said quite a few times that, you know, if you're a cross-country race situation and you need to shift five gears at once because you're putting out 15 million watts, you know, or whatever it may be, you know, I'm, I'm kind of joking a little bit, but, you know, in, in all seriousness, you know, if you change gear quite a few times, you do actually have to wait a little bit. And you can see this most in the bike stand. Um, if you punch the shifter eight times and you're in the bottom gear, it takes a while to move up the cassette. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's really good. It is genuinely really good. And it's a huge change for the, um, for the industry.
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely like Probably the biggest news story of the year. Full stop. I I think in many respects, like in terms yeah. of its ubiquity across mountain biking, from XE race bikes all the way up to enduro bikes, it's present. You've got, you know, it goes all the way down to GX level now. They released that a couple yeah. of months after the original XX. They do a cross country version, the XXSL. They do XO. They do all sorts of sort of iterations of it. I think, um, like you say, like the performance, the performance under power is unreal. Like it really yeah. is very good. That shift waiting time, you know, I have some reservations about it, but it 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 does work. The, my the actual little reservation, real reservation, the shifter pod buttons fall off all the time. Like right. I've lost so I've lost three of them now.
0: Have you really? <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah I've, I've not lost any yet, which is crazy. Yeah.
1: I think I've like I think it's usually when you're wearing like thicker gloves and like you flick you flicking mm. your finger over to the shift pod and it sort of catches the under, under edge of it and it pops it off. Anyway, bye yeah. the bye. Yeah. It's really impressive stuff, for sure. Um, we did actually run a story, like a Shimano patent story, which indicate that them they are patenting hangerless
0: mechs. Yeah, so um I mean, I, I spoke to I spoke to SRAM a little bit about this. Um, and you don't even need to speak to SRAM to see this, but you the the, the diagrams that Shimano submitted mm-hmm. are very, very similar to SRAM's. Right. If you actually compare the two patents next to each other for the two systems, you're like, hang on a second, this looks really familiar. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm not a patent lawyer. I don't know anything about any of that side of things. So maybe there's a reason why they're incredibly similar. Um, but you would kind of hope that now that all the bike manufacturers have gone to UDH, that, you know, Shimano would um, KISS, keep it simple, stupid, and just copy the design. Mm. And suddenly you actually have a genuine universal standard across mm-hmm. the two duopolis, I don't know if that's a word, but I think it might be now. It's a great word. Yeah, duopolis um, drivetrain manufacturers. Yeah. Um, and that would be brilliant. You know, I mean, it would actually be brilliant for everyone involved because you could swap and change things as you see fit.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say we had that anyway because obviously mechs mounted in the same place, but obviously Mech hangers were all different. Yeah. So yeah, hundred percent with you there. All right. Yeah. Um, do you want to very quickly run through any other drivetrain news from yeah. the year?
0: Yeah. So you know, obviously transmission was the biggest. Um, TRP updated their TR12 uh, drivetrain, um, and this uh, now com- comes with cranks as well. So um, I actually reviewed reviewed this a while back. Uh, the first isteri- iter- Sorry, the first iteration of it. Um, and it was just um, a derailleur and a shifter at that point. Um, and it was supposed to be used with Shimano cassettes. But what they've done is they've added cranks, chainring, cassette, and chain
1: um,
0: nice. to the whole system. And uh, Tom Law, so uh, Bite Radar's um, MTB video presenter, he, he he reviewed it. I think he awarded it three and a half stars out of five. Um, you know, it's got some really interesting tech in there. There's plenty of adjustability on the shifter. Um, You know, cassette cassette ranges are are, are pretty good, you know, pretty bog standard. Um, I think that shift quality maybe just wasn't quite as good as the quite lofty price tag. Uh, You you know, it's around, I think it's around a £1,000 roughly, um, all in, Uh, maybe ever so slightly more for the whole thing. And that sort of puts it in the same domain as SRAM's transmission, but GX level Um, or Shimano's XTR. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think compared to those two, Tom wasn't quite convinced that TRP's Evo Twelve had the same same level of performance. But you know, it's still a noteworthy still a noteworthy thing to chat about. Yeah. Um, you know, simply because it's great to have a challenger brand putting it out there yeah. and, and going for it, um, and actually doing really quite a good job. To be completely honest with you, cool. Anything um, else? Yeah, there's one more. So this one, um, is kind of it's kind of a funny one. It it's like the death of a certain group set or group sets. So basically Shimano's Qs, which is their um bottom spec, 9, 10, and 11 speed drivetrain components, is like a blanket naming now and blanket system for Olivio, Asira, Altus, and Tiagra. Now some of those are road bike things, but you know, actually you see them quite a lot on cheaper, cheaper mountain bikes. And Qs basically um puts a broad brush, excuse me, puts a broad brush stroke on um all of those different components into one kind of house i guess mm-hmm. um and um you know it, it it's basically really good for that end of the bikes because you can upgrade bits and bobs here and there like the, the derailleur is nine and 11 speed compatible for example so you just need to change your shifter um you know obviously on your, your cassette and your chain but um you know it's, it's quite a big step really um for the for the cheaper end of things
1: cool um i think the only other one i sort of could think of is uh, box components i think have updated their range of drivetrains, um, okay. and they've stuck with I think it's nine speed across the the thing with wide ranging cassettes because they say that um, the cassette to you know like the dimensions between the different cassette teeth makes it really easy to make really sturdy, strong, reliable shifting, and you don't need loads of gears, you don't need those smaller jumps, um, and this is like a really sort of secure option. Um, and also worth mentioning, obviously, because <laughs> I love it, uh, Classified did release a mountain bike version of their rear hub as well, which mm. in effect replaces the front derailleur by giving you a two-speed electronically controlled uh, instant-shifting rear hub onto which you put a Classified cassette. I'm not sure if it has that much application in, in mountain biking now that we have wide-ranging drivetrains, and also the extra weight at the back wheel is where you least want it. Um yeah. But from a gravel or XC hardtail maybe perspective, really interesting. It performs on the gravel bike at least incredibly well.
0: Yeah, so. yeah, uh, yeah. And you know, you could argue, well, okay, you've put two gears in your hub, so let's remove some of the ratios from the cassette, and you know, let's pare all that back. But then, are you going to save as much weight um, in the weight that you've gained in the rear hub? So you know. Yeah
1: It'd be an interesting experiment to maybe put one of their sort of tighter road cassettes on there mm. and maybe run like uh, one of SRAM's gravel, like eTap access mechs, mm. like Rival or whatever it is. Maybe you can save mm. a bit of weight. Anyway, interesting nonetheless. All right. Yeah. Let's move on to suspension. Um, and I think, oh, just as my notes disappear on my, on my tablet, <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess it's... Fair to say that the biggest news is probably the brand new RockShox Boxer that was released um, back in the summer. So it's now moved to a 38mm stanchion um, chassis, um, so obviously those are bigger biggest which you think is going to make it a stiffer fork, but they do say that they've tuned it to blend torsional and bending characteristics because if so much too stiff, you're actually going to compromise on both comfort and grip, but obviously you don't want too much flex because at that point you're compromising on handling. So there's a balance to be made there. The ultimate level fork, which is the one that you're going to be able to buy, comes with the top spec Charger 3RC2 damper, which gives you all the adjustments that you're going to need. Um, it also comes with buttercups, uh, which is sort of a separation of the, the different pistons and cartridges and all out, down there to sort of tune, like little rubber bumpers that kind of tune out sort of the high-frequency, low-amplitude buzz, um, which should, again, make things more comfortable uh, and give you a bit more grip. And they've got these new wonderful things called jounce bumpers, Um which is basically a fancy name for a bottom-out bumper. Uh, but I, put- I think uh,
0: recently I, I made a comment that a jounce bumper was a nonsense, <laughs> I believe. I, I had absolutely, it made absolutely no logical sense to me what that word meant in no. that context.
1: <laughs> no, I don't know why. I mean, I think this is a thing, you know, SRAM are very good on buzzwords. You know, they we are. see it with like its transmission, not drivetrain, and yeah. like shift lanes, not shift ramps. You know, yeah. So we'll give them, we'll give them it. But yeah, it's a jounce bumper um, to stop harsh bottom outs. And um, there is also an OE spec boxer um, which has a Charger 3RC, so a slightly simpler damper. Now they come as 200 mil travel forks, but there are spring kits to bring it down to 190 or 180 mil travel. Um, they come in 650 and 29-inch options. And finally, well, not finally, they're also e-bike rated. So we're seeing a few more e-bikes, which may be obviously not downhill ones, but kind of enduro e-bikes coming ready to take dual crown triple clamp forks. Haven't seen many out there yet. Um, Specialized did it, I think, didn't they?
0: Kenevo? Yeah, the, yeah, it's the um the Kenevo. Is that right? The Turbo Kenevo, not yeah. Kenevo SL, the Turbo Kenevo, which is the the super long travel 650B wheeled. Mm-hmm. Uh, version and then also the high bike um my gosh i can't remember what the exact name mm. is but they've basically got a model out there with uh they're actually running a triple crown olins fork on it mm. um, did
1: did cannondale do the matera with a boxer yeah, last they did year for a little bit yeah yeah, yeah
0: absolutely so, so it, it is a thing but you know We'll see. Um, oh, there... I'm sure some some people maybe uh, salivating at the, some enduro riders may be salivating at the prospect of being able to fit a 180mm travel boxes yeah, to, to their enduro bike. Um, I think it'd
1: be pretty cool. Like there are yeah. definitely enduro bikes out there which are rated again for for such forks. Yeah. Um, inside the fork, uh, there's a new Debon Air Plus spring, um, and they've made it a twin tube design, which is you know and an, well a twin tube cartridge design, um, which. RockShox says, their most linear air spring yet. So kind of pulling it back towards the performance of a coil in terms of suspension, because obviously a lot of downhill forks traditionally have had coil springs in there. Um, the new design has also allowed them to tune the case casting volume, which is basically air trapped inside the lower leg. So between all of that, they've basically made their air spring as good as they say they can. Um, and there's also new oil flow ports in the upper to keep the bushings lubricated. Um Beautiful. Thanks. <laughs> Was that beautiful for me or beautiful for them? It's a lovely both, looking... Both of you. Yeah. of you. you. <laughs> yeah. Um, regular uh, Bike rider podcast guest Luke Marshall did go all the way to Whistler to test the fork and there is a, a review on Um Other suspension news... Um, EXT purveyors of beautiful suspension, um, most commonly known for their coil shocks uh, and slightly quirky forks in some respects, um, released the Aria, which is their first air shock. It's got a two uh, a two positive air spring setup. So the initial prim- uh, air spring is for the primary support, like setting your sag and that early stroke sensitivity. And then the secondary uh, positive air spring is for the mid uh, and ramp up. Uh, and there's no volume spaces required. Um, Olin's released the new RXC thirty four M one fork and TCX air shock. Um, so this is sort of their more lightweight trail XC suspension. Um, the shock comes in two versions. Uh, there's like a versatile one and a slim down, extra lightweight one. Um, and then the fork. I'm pretty sure has- they
0: were they, they they were raced at the World Cups, weren't they? I can't mm. remember on which team it was, but they were definitely they were definitely at, yeah. at some of the World Cups this year. I'm um, to seems think. like a lifetime ago, trying to cast my mind back to watching that in the the, in the long summer nights. Yeah. But, um, was it
1: was it the Rock Rider team or was it Santa Cruz?
0: I can't uh, remember. Yeah, I can't remember. Some people Can are. Sorry. <laughs> um we, we get we get minus minus three points minus each three points for uh, lack of knowledge. <laughs> um
1: the fork c- comes with either alloy or carbon CSU. So the uppers, you know, yeah. um the sort of the top bits of the fork, uh, and there's three damper positions. Uh, and in other suspension news, um, we are very excited to see SR Suntour actually announce their electronic control of suspension. So Pidcock had been riding around on SR Suntour suspension with some wires coming out the top of it last season. Um, was it the Olympics, was it, it, that the Olympics? first Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and SR Suntour basically announced it, the LSC, Control. It's five thousand euros aftermarket, and can only okay. fit be fitted to the Axon Thirty Four Works and Edge TT shocks. Um, only has two hundred grams, um, but gives you a three-axis accelerometer in the fork crown, which sort of assesses the trail situation and dictates whether your fork and shocks damp low-speed compression is left open or closed. So yeah, I mean there yeah, are other did. bits of suspension news out there, but that's quite an interesting one, I thought.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um I think that um whilst we're talking about like the wireless control, we have actually seen RockShox's RockShoxes, RockShoxes, um, flight attendant on cross country race bikes at the World Cups, but mm. there's not been any official news on that yet. Um, and uh, there was also a new SID this year, there was a
1: new which didn't make it which, onto my into my notes but, for some well, reason.
0: <laughs> to, to, to be totally fair, it wasn't a complete redesign. I mean, you'd you'd be hard pressed to tell the old version from the new version if you're just looking at them at a glance. Um, but it was a, the, the the main point was a slightly redesigned airspring spring mm. um, that meant you can actually get more travel now because I believe that was one of the complaints of the previous ones that people were struggling to struggling to basically use the whole forks travel and now they are according to technical editor in chief and our saviour. Robin Weaver uh, who tested them um he he awarded them what them a high number of stars i can't actually remember whether it was a 4.5 <laughs> 4. or a 4 or a 5 um but he he really liked them he said that basically they they kind of fixed all the issues of the previous SID. Um, okay. so you know if if maybe you're in the market for for electronic cross country suspension rather than dropping your 5k on your SR Suntour uh system maybe wait until flight attendance out because you're probably likely to pay a little bit less money. Maybe mm. not much, but maybe not 5K.
1: I suspect uh, in 12 months' time, we might be having this conversation uh, and be like, oh, and this year, Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I
0: think it's coming. Yeah, yeah, right. definitely. Because Olympics next year, right, in Paris. So. It is.
1: It is. should be a big year for cross-country. We'll talk yeah. about cross-country in a minute, but first I'm going to go back to you. Uh, and should we talk e-bikes?
0: Yeah, let's do. No, it. Let's let's um, start. Let's
1: start the mountain bikes with long travel bikes because actually, okay, we all love longer travel bikes.
0: Okay, well, I can be flexible and adaptable, Tom. I am not fixed Thank into <laughs> any any form of talking about anything. So, the long travel market's an interesting one. Um, you know, you, you do see a lot of bikes, but generally, the the life cycles may be a little bit slower on the long travel bike side. Um, so, uh, this year, I mean, for me, there's been a few standouts. Um, I'm going to start with a slightly unusual pick. It's Bold's Unplugged. So Mm. um, this is kind of like, um, it sort of bridges the gap between trail and Enduro. It's a 160mm travel bike um, and Bold uh, is owned by Scott. um, And, you know, Scott has borrowed some of Bold's technology, which is basically hiding the rear shock inside the bike's tubing um on their genius and their spark so you know you can go on scott's website or biteradar.com and check out reviews and um see you know exactly what we're talking about here but i think maybe the bold unplugged is slightly more interesting for uh, in the longer travel market because um you know it's it looks incredible it looks mm. absolutely fantastic it's got a truly futuristic design um and you know, it shows that there's definitely potential there to, for more brands to kind of integrate their thinking and make bikes look like bikes of the current day. You know, okay, bikes of the future, whatever you want to say. Um, and you know, the Unplug does that. I mean, it's not cheap. It's, it's eleven thousand pounds for the priciest one. Um, you know, uh, sorry, eleven thousand euros. I apologize. And you know, that uses the Scotts integrated Hixon IC bar stem, and it's got you know Olin's suspension all over it, and um, you know, it's, it's a proper thing of luxury and beauty. Um, one of the most interesting things about putting shocks inside tubes on, um, long travel bikes is heat buildup, mm. um, which is kind of why, you know, it's, it's sort of in this, in, in, in this, uh, podcast because it seems unusual. Um, Finlay Anderson, who's uh, one of our freelance contributors, he, he tested the unplugged for us. Um, actually here in the Tweed Valley in, uh, he, he's a, he's a local, um, and on our long trails here, you know, some descents in excess of five minutes. He didn't, okay, it's cold in Scotland. Let's, you know, <laughs> let's uh, caveat it with that, but you know, he, he wasn't kind of struggling with heat buildup. So, um, it seems like, you know, maybe it's, it's a non-issue and people who are always chatting about, oh, you know, the shock's getting super hot and it's affecting damping performance. Maybe it's not such a big deal. And for the aesthetics, do you know Great. what? Yeah. All in hundred percent, all in. So I I,
1: I went on the Scott Genius launch 15-ish months ago, so last year. And obviously, that's got a a shock in in the uh, down tube, or in the seat tube, vertically mounted. Um, And they did two versions. They do like a regular one, which comes with a a single air can shock. um, And they do the ST, which is the trail, slightly more aggressive version, which comes with um, a piggyback shock in there. And they said that because the ST was designed for sort of more burly use, one of the reasons why they went with um, a piggyback shock was because of the increased oil volume, which meant more resistance to heat buildup. Obviously, there's a bigger travel bike from Scott in their range, the Ransom. One might assume it's due an upgrade soon. Uh, yeah, it's a
0: bit long in the teeth, isn't it? It would be a, it would be an incredibly logical thing to say.
1: Yeah, so um, it will be interesting to see what they've done. Because, again, you would expect them to keep that sort of similar design ethos of hiding the shock. But, you know, when we spoke to them, heat buildup inside there was something that they were concerned about. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what they do or have done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe there'll, be, uh, maybe there'll be cooling fans and ice packs and uh, <laughs> who, who knows what. You know, you <laughs> exhaust to, ports. You know, I mean, yeah, ports. Um,
1: when they did the 160, E160, like five years ago uh that's got they said like exhaust at the top of the head tube to let some of the battery heat out Ooh. <laughs> all right i like it <laughs> what are the other couple of news stories that so piqued your from,
0: interest? yeah from from remarkably sleek to uh slightly more and i do apologize agricultural looking um is orange's switch seven mm-hmm. so um you know I, i'm actually a real fan of orange bikes and i had a I had um, a stage six long term test bike for a little while, and you know it was one of their first twenty nine long travel slack jobbies. The switch seven actually kind of eschews Orange's usual single pivot straight actuation. You know, no linkage between swing arm and and shock and front end, with a linkage to tune their leverage ratio. Mm. And for a brand that's been so unbelievably. Um, True to their initial roots, I guess, would be the best way to put it. You know, it's quite a big step. Um, I know a lot of people have struggled with Orange's single pivot design, having a really linear leverage rate, um, i.e. The, there's absolutely no progression whatsoever, so it makes it quite quite hard to put coil shocks on there. Um, and uh, air shocks need a lot of volume reducer spacers to you know give that end stroke bottom out, and sometimes mid stroke support. It's great to see them try something new. Mm. Um, And, you know, I was kind of joking a little bit that it's agricultural, but actually, you know, it's really cool. The linkage folds away into a recess inside the swing arm when it's fully extended. So, you know, you look at it from the side and you can't actually tell that there's a linkage in there. So, you know, they kind of keep to their original design aesthetic. Um, Obviously, this one runs on mullet wheels, 165 mil of rear wheel travel, you know, slack, long, low, all of your standard bits and bobs, um, you know, 60, 63 degree head angle. Um, you know, it's 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 the proper bike of, of the current times. Cool. Um and you know, I, I just thought it was a worthy mention because, you know, it's great seeing one of the smaller brands doing something that's potentially a little bit out of their comfort zone and putting it out there and addressing, you know, some of the concerns and criticisms that could be could be levied at them. Great. Um, yeah. So you know, Chapeau Orange, let's let's see what else you've got up your sleeve because, yeah. you know, I'm sure there's plenty more to come from that brand. Okay. Shall we
1: list a couple of the other bigger launches then this year?
0: Yeah, so the, the final one for me, I think, um, and it is was the Giant Glory. Um, not only because I'm i I'm a big fan of the brand, and I've actually got an ATX One sitting up in my garage, <laughs> uh, which is their you know one of not their original downhill bike, but one of their older school downhill bikes. Uh, the new Glory kind of had the same colorway as that as that ATX mm. One with the the blue swing arm and the red to yellow via orange fade on the front end, um, but What's really interesting about this particular glory is that it's so adjustable. You've got reach adjustment, chainstay length adjustment, bottom bracket height, and head tube angle adjustment, all built in to the frame as standard. So you buy the bike off the shelf, and you can adjust those things on it. How cool is that?
1: Nice. Yeah. There's not many bikes with that much adjustability out there.
0: Geometron. Yeah. The geoma- Yeah. Uh, Geometron or Geometron? Geometron? I don't know. Who knows? I'm not sure. Yeah. Who knows? Chris Porter um, does. Yeah, he, do, he will, and I'm sure he'll let us know. Uh-huh. Please do, Chris. Uh, maybe the new Santa Cruz uh, V10 uh, Gen 8 has quite a bit of adjustability on it. Um, mm-hmm. But f- for me, you know, it was, it was the glory. Um, the only, like, slightly, uh, not peculiar, but um, one quirky thing about it is because of the design of the head tube to have all of that adjustability, it's only compatible with Fox 38, sorry, Fox 40 forks, Oh. Or the brand new boxer. Okay. So you know you won't be able to put one of your older boxers on it. Um, right. So if you're buying the frame set, you need to. Well, the frame set actually comes with a with a forty fork, so you're okay. Um, but if you want to swap that out, you'll need to just pay attention of for compatibility issues. Okay. There we go.
1: Yeah. All right. Um, so- well, I'll, I'll jump onto trail bikes. Um, but oh, we we must mention the Trek Slash. Can't forget that. Um, High pivot enduro bike. Not totally many of them it. out. Not many of them yeah. out there. You know, high pivot's been a thing in downhill for a little while. There's been some relatively niche um, companies. You know, uh, Forbidden, DVA, Norco, oh. making high pivot enduro bikes. But for Trek to say we're doing a high pivot enduro bike, certainly sort of speaking to other people in the industry who are, you know, are bike brands, they were like, right, okay, so we do need to think about high pivot enduro bikes now. Um, yeah. full story and reviews uh, on bike creator slash
0: yeah cool uh, in short three and a half stars Luke thought it was an amazing Overdown. amount of potential but yeah uh, some issues with the shock tune
1: there we go alright well um, we'll jump to trail bikes now it has been actually a pretty good year for trail bikes so I'm actually I'm going to run through some of the bikes that were launched and then I'll talk about the one that I've decided to
0: talk further in length about <laughs> it's probably worth just saying because we were writing our list before this podcast and it's like it must be touching on 40 bikes long now yeah it's crazy like i think
1: i sort of went into this thinking oh god what what are we going to talk about and then you start looking through everything and start remembering you like oh hell 2023 has been like big year bit of a year um all right so in brief New GT sensor, shaved 600 grams off the weight of it with a new carbon rear triangle. Um, There's a Habit LT, so Cannondale um, have done a long travel version of their, Cannondale, of of the Habit. I've got one in for bike of the year testing, so there'll be a review of that in about six months' time. Um, (laughs) Canyon updated their Neuron, um, and it's gone from being, what was... Mm, something that you know wasn't going to be hugely popular in the UK to something that actually Luke Marshall thought pretty darn good, and I think you found the same with the new Lux Trail, um which yep. is like a downcountry version of their Lux XC bike. Um, Orbea have been busy, they had a new Rallon, which we didn't mention, but they have done. They also had the new Occam, which is their kind of 141 50mm trail bike. They do an SL with less travel and an LT with more travel. And you change the shock yoke, which changes travel, does little bits of the geometry. Loads of like customization available on that bike in terms of kit and paint job through their Mayo program. Yeti launched the SB135. Why is that interesting? Well, probably one of the few trail or enduro or XC bikes or any bike launched this year with two 650B wheels (laughs) <laughs> um, kind of proving that um, it's not yeah. quite dead yet. I rode the SB135 and actually... You it's liked an, it? It was absolutely... It was hilarious. Like, yeah. probably not going to be the fastest bike in the world, probably not the most capable bike in the world, but in terms of, like, ride characteristics and feel, like, what a fun bike to ride. I I, I loved it. Hasn't tempted me away from 29ers, though. Yeah. Um, mm. The other big news, I guess, was the new YT C. So this is the third or fourth generation. Comes actually with a little bit less travel, 145mm at the back, but it's got much more aggressive geometry, slacker head angle, longer reaches, steeper seat angle. And as we'd expect from... A German direct sale brand. Pricing is aggressive. Uh, starts at two four nine nine for or two thousand seven hundred ninety nine dollars for the entry level alloy model, and it goes up to a number of carbon models as well. Rob keep, Weaver, keep,
0: keep tuned for a review on that as well. The, mm. the core one we're going to be reviewing that. So yes, and I've got one
1: in for Bike of the Year as well. So so <laughs> it's going to be a great time riding Jessies. I love the Jessie. One Trail Bike yeah. of the Year twenty nineteen. I want to say um, last year like the legacy model you know the outgoing model still came in like i think the top 3 is mm. such a good bike i i've always had a real soft spot for them so that's trail bikes the one i'm actually going to talk a little bit more in length about is the merida 120 which actually has 130 mm of travel um which you have to qualify every time you talk about the merida 120 because it actually has 130 mm of travel <laughs> um, and this is the problem when as a bike brand you decide to call the model name after the amount of suspension travel it has and then you change the amount of suspension travel it has. Oh dear. Oh dear.
0: <laughs> so, Classic.
1: <laughs> Merida have had like a real big 18 months. Um, a year ago, or just over a year ago, they launched their new 140 and 160, which was a real radical departure from them. You know, Merida, I guess have been a slightly more on the traditional side of things, but mm. the launch of those two bikes really signified that they were taking, you know, mountain biking and trail and enduro bikes seriously. They, they, created two bikes with some of the most radical geometry of any bike in the genre you know we're talking super long reaches for for a given size like i measured the seat angle on on a 140 80.5 degrees on a seat angle mm. like unreal like unseen almost yeah um yep. certainly from basically the biggest bike manufacturer in the world pretty much um yeah which
0: a lot of people don't actually know that
1: yeah they you know they're a huge brand and they make, you know, they make bikes for Spesh. They work with Spesh. Um, there's an agreement there, whatever. I, I don't want to go into the details. I don't really know them properly. Um, but anyway, they're a huge Sounds company. Sounds like a great
0: time to stick your oar in. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they're a huge company. And those two bikes, I mean, first off, the 140 won Trail Bike of the Year and the 160 sort of uh, verified my sort of awarding of Trail Bike of the Year because the 161 Enduro Bike of the Year, which Rob Weaver did. Um, so a double whammy. A double whammy for them. And... Back in the autumn, they launched the 120, which has 130 mm of travel, which has 130 mm of travel um, at the back. Uh, and I don't think you mentioned that. I don't think I mentioned that. <laughs> um, but it's interesting because it, they don't, they're not doing carbon ones. This is aimed at a more entry-level price point. They've got three models. I think they start at uh, £1,900 and go up to £2,500, but you'd have to triple-check. Um, alloy only, alloy flex state at the back. Similar geometry, not quite as radical, But pretty similar, uh, and a very um, similar suspension platform as well. Basically, they pedal incredibly well. Like, I ran a 140 as a long-term bike this year, and I never used the lockout. In fact, due to issues with some of the shocks I had, I actually taped the lockout lever open um, Mm. and never once needed it. Um, So yeah, super good at pedaling, but also you drop into that mid-stroke, there's loads of grip, and then it ramps up mega good for super control when you're sort of hitting things big. And the 120, which has 130mm of travel, kind of does very much the same with geometry that is also, yeah, really up to date. I'm um, targeting it at people who maybe it's their first full suspension mountain bike and they sort of want to make that jump. And also at people who maybe have a longer travel bike but kind of want a secondary bike to do bigger days out and a bit more efficient. Um, so, yeah, really cool bike. Um, full story and reviews on bikeradar.com.
0: Yeah, super affordable, which is going to be... Going to be music to people's ears at the current current I times. Think I think. So. Yeah. 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 Definitely. All right yeah, then.
1: Nice. So we've got two more categories to go, uh, and let's talk e-bikes.
0: Okay. So uh, once again, uh, we're going to be talking about SRAM. So, <laughs> arguably, I think I think that this is the biggest news uh, to come out of e-bikes this year, simply because it now means the brand offers a top to tails bike outfit essentially. You know, okay, the the powertrain, which is what the the motor system's called, um, has its own important bits of tech that we'll chat about in a second. Um but the fact that you can go out and buy a fully strammed up bike, um, I don't think any other manufacturer offers that. No. Like, okay, you can get, you know, Shimano and Fox uh suspension bikes and you know, they'll work closely together, but Nothing from the same brand. And I think that that's, you know, a huge deal for, for the bike industry. Um, and bike brands, you know, I'm sure that if a bike brand wants to spec all of those different bits from, from SRAM, there's potential for, you know, OE. I, I mean, I don't know how it works, so I'm going to stick my oar in. But, you know, OE discounts or whatever. Mm. Um, Just think, pretty much the only thing they don't make is saddles
1: and tyres. No, they'll make saddles through... Intrubative. Uh, Probably, yeah, probably will have one. But they don't make tires, yeah. but they make wheels, forks, yep. stems, bars, seat posts. They don't grips. make fr- grips. They don't make frames. But no. basically, uh, frame and tires and everything else pretty much could be SRAM.
0: Yeah. Which, I mean, you That's know, they've, like, they've got bottles, they've got cages. I mean, you they know, might, they've got at this point, they might as well. <laughs> well, maybe that'll be next. Who knows? And I wonder what they'd call it SRAM frame, <laughs> uh, uh, component hanger. <laughs> i'm not sure <laughs> universal surround <Schrenhanger. laughs> yeah. Um so j- j- jokes aside i mean you know pa- powertrain uh uses a motor that's built by brose so anyone who's ridden a uh specialized turbo levo bike so the full power ones with the the two point whatever motor it is like the the newest one which is on the turbo levo Um, it'll feel familiar and it'll sound familiar and the little display on the top tube looks very familiar. That's not a bad thing. You know, whilst it's not maybe quite as good as Bosch, it's definitely one of the best motors out there. So in outsourcing their motor to Brose, no bad thing. I mean, you know, some people be like, oh, why don't they build their own thing? Don't need to. Don't need to if they can do that. I think probably the most interesting thing about Powertrain is auto-shift and um, free shift I think it's called I always get confused between the the Shimano coast shift and all of the Shimano naming Mm. Um, so basically the gears when put in a certain mode can change for you it does everything for you so you freewheel and speed up it will shift to a harder gear you freewheel and slow down it will shift to an easier one likewise when you're pedaling it tries to keep you pedaling within a certain cadence range um it's it's really good. I mean, I've, I've ridden it. I've written I've it. You know, pretty reasonable length now. I've actually got some of my bike of the year bikes with powertrain. Um, it's really good. It's best on like trail centres where there's a lot of undulating terrain. Um, and what it means is you can just hammer around the trail centre and only have to think about the terrain and pedalling. It's bonkers how fast you can go. I mean, you you rip yourself a new one basically <laughs> once you get into it. Um, you know, I mean, like you see like 160 beats a minute. I mean, that's pretty high for me. I'm I'm old now, so my potential maximum heart rate's quite low, and 160 is pushing it. Um, you can go so fast on the thing. The main problem is when you have a super fast short downhill into a really steep short uphill where you decelerate incredibly quickly. And what uh, auto shift will do is it'll change into a hard gear on the way down and then not be able to change quick enough into an easier gear. But you think about what you would do on your normal bike, you'd preempt this on your normal bike, you know, a bike without auto shift gears. You would naturally select those Mm. easier gears as you're getting to the rides. And you can do this, you can override the system. So on the one hand, you have the promise of automatic gears where you think, well, it should probably be able to do that. On the other hand, if you were riding your normal bike, you wouldn't end up jammed in a hard gear anyway. You'd think about it. So you just have to maybe engage your brain in one or two little places. Um. It's available on four bikes, maybe now three. Um, So you've got Gas Gas, you've got Propane and Transition, um, all offering e-bikes with proof as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm pretty confident you can still buy proofs, especially in the United Kingdom um, with Powertrain. um, You know, all the warranties are still honoured, etc. So if you're in the market for one, I don't see any reason why you shouldn't be considering a Proof over those other models. Nice. Um, However... Oh. That might be the biggest story, but it's not necessarily the most exciting. Uh. So, Pinion's MGU, MGU stands for Motor Gearbox Unit, is probably the most exciting e bike news to come out of this year. And basically, what Pinion has done is they've removed the derailleur, they've removed the cassette, they've removed the chain, and they've combined the They combined a gearbox, a drive unit, um, and everything needed into one system that sits beneath the shock around the bottom bracket area. Um, It weighs around four kilograms, the whole thing. So, uh, for example, for context, a Bosch Performance Line CX motor is 2.9 kilograms. So that leaves you with 1,100 grams to fit a full drivetrain to to make up the same weight as Pinion's MGU. Now, I don't have my spreadsheet open currently, but I'm pretty confident that even if you spent an absolute fortune on XXSL or XTR, you still wouldn't be able to beat the 4 kilogram mark as an all-in system. Hmm. So when you think about it like that, the MGU actually seems yeah, quite interesting. You know, Yeah, it seems quite interesting. So um, it's a sealed unit. Um, it needs to have its oils oil changed every ten thousand kilometers. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as someone who rides a lot, ten thousand kilometers off-road. This is someone who rides a lot off-road. Ten thousand kilometers—that's a heck of a lot of riding to do on year. one bike. Yeah, especially on one bike. Okay, if you only own one bike, sure. But a lot of people probably will own an e-bike and uh, you know just a normal bike. Um, so you're going to be splitting that splitting that mileage between the two. Just like SRAM system. The MGU offers automatic electronic shifting. And um, whilst it's available with a chain, it can also use a Gates belt drive. Mm -hmm. So suddenly you've got the reliability of a toothed belt that you'd see in like a car that are used for um, the the crank belts or the, you know, the pulley belts or whatever you want to call them. Now, I know these can snap on cars, but my gosh, there's a lot more force going through a (laughs) car's uh, crank crank belt than, you know, crank whatever it's called, than a bicycle one. It's claimed to give up to 160 newton meters of torque. So it's quite hard to measure that because um, of the way that the gearbox works. um, And Pinion claim that that's roughly the same as 85 newton meters um, at the rear wheel, um, which is pretty similar to the Bosch, the Mm. Shimano, um, everything else. It comes in 9 and 12-speed setups, so that's a 568% range and a 600% range, wow. respectively. Now, I'm pretty confident that um, Shimano's is 510% and SRAM's is 520%, so even their 9-speed version beats both of those. Mm. Interesting. Um, yeah so I think the main sticking point at the moment about the mGU is that it's only available on a handful of bikes. Um, the simplon, Rotwild and flyer. Um, those are currently the only brands um, who are who are you know offering this. I've actually been in touch with Rotwild. I think you would say uh, if you pronounced it correctly <laughs> uh, recently so you know we're trying to, we're trying to get one of those bikes in to test um, great. To be honest with you, it looks amazing yeah um remove the derailleur put everything into one bit change your unsprung to sprung ratio uh, weight ratio use a belt drive i want to give this a go let's let's get it in
1: fingers crossed
0: yeah all right well um sorry one final shout out my gosh i'm very excited about e-bikes and this is really (laughs) sad uh it's bosch's sx motor um, that's going to be available on on quite a few different bikes. Um, this is a, a a low low torque but high power motor. So it's got 55 newton meters of torque, but 600 watts of peak power. So that gives it quite a bit less torque than you know your full power motors, but actually around the same power. Um, and what this basically means is that to access the assistance, you're going to have to be spinning at higher cadences than you would usually on a on an e bike. Um, it comes with a 400 watt hour battery as standard and there's a range extender called a power more. Um, and I've actually ridden this motor now and genuinely I'm, I'm really impressed. It's, it's really natural feeling. Like it, it feels like one of the most natural bikes, the faster you pedal, the more assistance it gives, which is exactly how you would ride, um, you know, out on your normal bike, you would need to pedal faster to be able to get up those steep climbs. My main complaint so far is that chainring sizes are a little on the big side. So staying on top of that gear on super steep climbs, even in the boost mode or turbo mode or whatever it's called, a bit tricky. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really exciting. Exciting cool. at the moment in the e-bike world. Great stuff. I mean, there's been tons of bikes,
1: e-bikes launched this year. We're not going to go through a list because... Um, We're nearly an hour long, and I've still got to talk about XC bikes. But um, yeah, yeah, it has been really interesting. I've ridden a few this year, and uh, yeah, it's been been cool. A good year for e-bikes. All right. Finally, we're going to talk about cross-country, because it might not be massive in the UK, but people love watching it. And outside of the UK, XC is huge. Uh, And again, it's been a great year for XC bike launches. Pinarello, for example, they finally released the Dogma, which is a bike that Pauline from Prevost and, and Tom Peacock have been racing on. Um, Villiers released a 120mm, absolutely wild looking bike called the Erta Max SLR, um, which has 20 different models within it. Um, <laughs> apparently, mad. Um, I rode the Pivot Mac 4SL, um, which goes against the grain in that instead of being a, a flex stay single pivot, it's a DW link. Um, it's got adjustable travel at the back too. So you are, you can pick from 95 or 103 mil with a shorter stroke shock or 106 and 100, or 115 mil if you want to run a longer stroke shock paired with 100 or 120 mil forks respectively. Cervelo released their first mountain bike, the ZFS5. Absolutely wild sort of true like thoroughbred XC race bike. Reviewed that, review online as well. That was interesting because that sort of broke at Novia Mesto under Jumbo Visma, which are traditionally a very road-based team. Um, And in the XCE race, which is like the short track one before the main event, they replaced the shock with an alloy link to make it into a hardtail, very much bending the UCI's rules on using the same bike in both races, which I thought was brilliant. Um,
0: They they got around that one. Yeah, there was that loophole and they saw it and used it. So I I
1: love that. I, yeah. I was like, buzzing off that, totally. And yeah, got to ride the bike. Interesting. Um, very, very race bred. Um, you rode it with a shock, we might add, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah not I the, did. <laughs> not the rigid link, yeah. I did, I did lock it out sometimes. But um, <laughs> um, the other big news uh, really was the revitalized Trek Supercaliber. So that's had its travel boosted from 60mm to 80mm. Um, and it's definitely Trek World Racing XC team's go-to bike. Yolanda Neff did race the top fuel in a couple of late season races um,
0: when she was sort of Where she back. actually found some form, right? When she started to find some form, yeah. Um, I don't know, maybe that's a bit offensive. I'm not sure. Sorry, Yolanda. But I mean, it's kind of true. Like, you know, you'd expect her <clears throat> to be potentially a podium contender every weekend and... Uh, for whatever reason, she kind of she kind of struggled at the early part of this year, didn't she? Yeah,
1: so she jumped back on the bigger travel bike for, you know, like the world's course was pretty gnarly in places, um, mm. but obviously um, Daskaloo and Evie have been racing the Trek Supercala all year round, and Rob Weaver has just done his review for Bike Radar, and there's a head-to-head video mm. and uh, feature on Bike Radar now with the new specialised Epic World Cup, which is probably the biggest news in XC in
0: 2023. So and all, all of the jokes looks like a session seen on many a <laughs> forum. It now looks like a super calibre.
1: <laughs> yes. So um, this is the bike that Specialised reckon should maybe replace the cross-country hardtail. And in fact, their Epic hardtail has now been slimmed down to a couple of more pocket-friendly um, rides. They're still keeping the 100 mil Epic, um, but the Epic World Cup has 75 mil of travel dolled out by a small custom rock shock, shock slung under the top tube, much like the Supercaliber. Um, and this has three negative air spring settings, which replaces a lockout, basically. So in its no-gulp mode, you run it with... It's got zero sag, so there's no air in the negative spring. Um, and unless you actually hit something moderately hard, it acts like a hardtail. There is no sag. There is no movement under pedal. Um, and then you can open it up to half gulp, which has 5% sag, and full gulp, which is around 10% sag. And um, There's like a, an air bleed valve on the side of the shock, and there's a, there's a process. It's not difficult to do, but it's slightly different to your normal shock setup. Um, in terms of the bike itself, relatively radical geometry-ish. It's kind of fairly long, fairly slack, um, and it comes with a SID, 110mm travel SID, at the front with their brain... Uh, damper dropped in the top so again this isn't like a remote lockout version but it's an inertia valve within the fork which opens and closes depending on sort of the size of an impact and you can tune how sensitive it is so basically you don't have to think about locking out your bike because it's doing thinking for you in a mechanical way not an electronic way um i rode the bike it's a very niche bike it's a very specialist bike if you want to race short course xc and you want to go full gas every time you ride a bike, it's great, because like the pedalling stability is insane. Like it's It pedals like a hardtail. Even if you're in a 10% sag mode, it still pedals basically like a hardtail. The uphill traction on technical climbs is unparalleled in my view of an XC bike. How they generate the grip out of that Renegade rear tyre, I do not know. It climbs like an absolute goat. Um, on the descents, depending on how you've got the rear suspension set up, it does feel potentially a little bit unbalanced. You can, of course, run the fork a little bit harder. But if you want to get the full travel from the fork, you know, like you can still get all 75mm of travel in all of the modes on most descents. But you, you need to sort of play around. And maybe depending on the course will depend how you set that rear shock up because that really dominates how the bike feels on the trail. But Super cool. I don't think it's going to replace most people's bikes. I think if you're someone who uses your XC bike and then maybe goes training, maybe like rides it for fun, maybe, I don't know. Um there are better bikes out there, but if you just want an XC race bike just to race short course XC races,
0: it's great. It's just do, a bit do, do you think people who want to ride gravel but don't want a gravel bike would like it?
1: Uh, I think they probably would. I think they should probably have a gravel bike.
0: I'm, right.
1: I'm a purist, um, but no, it, are, yeah. I have done sort of gravel esque rides on, on it, and yeah, it works. It works really well for that. You know, you got your big tires, which give sort of plenty of comfort on 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 chatter. It pedals really well, and it will give you sort of like a nice upright ish position. Um, which is, you know, some will find comfortable. So, yeah, it could do that very happily. Where I'd say it maybe doesn't work so well, maybe surprisingly, is on, like, marathon-style rides, like really long ones. It Mm -hmm. is unforgiving. It is uncompromising. And I kind of think, unless you're maybe at the absolute sharp end of that, you're probably going to be better off over six, seven, eight hours on a bike that is marginally more comfortable because fatigue is a thing. Um, And as sort of many of us have found when we've been riding those integrated stem and bar systems, Rob had it with the Supercaliber. We've had it with various Scots that Luke's tested over the times. They're just not as comfortable as well. So I actually found that swapping the bars to a two-piece setup actually helps massively with with on bike comfort.
0: And you can change you can change, you bar, can change roll the and bar roll and adjust adjust the geometry. Yeah, which yeah. is hugely important for quite a few people. Yeah. So um, unless you're lucky and it's perfect for you, which yeah, it could be,
1: you could be the specialised engineer who designed it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, I think um, we'll wrap it up there because uh, we're just about to hit the hour mark um, and that's a good length for a podcast. But it has been an incredible year in mountain biking. I know there's been a lot of stuff going on with with the industry. Um, And of course, we've touched on that where required on Com. Listen out for other roundups of 2023. We'll be doing a similar podcast about the road and gravel side of things. We'll be looking back at some of the most important news that has happened outside of tech as well, and of course, we'll be looking at our predictions for 2024. So keep an eye out on your podcast service on your on your phone or on your laptop because there's going to be loads and loads of end of year, start of year podcast content because that's what we do.
0: <laughs> right? And please uh, also let us know. Let us know what your favourite bits were. Mm. Um, that would be really interesting to find out. You know, maybe actually we've uh, we've missed the mark and, you know, you're like screaming at us currently. What about um, in, the, in, the, 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 the... Yeah, exactly. Great. Please uh, email us, podcast at com. Lovely stuff.
1: All right, Al. Well, thanks ever so much for your time this morning. Um, well, thank you, Tom. And uh, yeah, we'll be back with plenty more podcasts in 2024. So I hope you've had a, a lovely end of year and uh, best wishes for the coming year. very very, very seasonal and lovely (laughs) alright bye for now bye thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast if you've not done so already please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode